Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit for the mindset on flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God for it does not subject itself to the law of God for it is not even able to do so. And those who are of the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, Though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And so, Father, we thank you for this word. We, we ask, Lord, that you would help us as we navigate this passage. And it's in Christ's good name that we pray. So as we work our way through Romans, we'll, we'll sort of do an overview here in a second. We come to an important passage. Um, the struggle of a pastor that teaches week to week is, or at least me, I can't speak for all of them, is knowing how much to cover in any given week. You know, last week we kind of flew over the whole chapter of Romans 7. I felt like it fit together. Then you, you do it and you're like, oh, maybe I should have broken it up or maybe I don't know. Well, Romans chapter 8 is so incredibly rich. There's been some dry, hard grounds going through Romans. Then we come to Romans 8, and it's almost like in my heart, it's like this. Ah, we're here. We're here. The Spirit of God is mentioned some 19 times in this chapter. Uh, previously, it's only been mentioned four times in the, in the whole uh, letter of Romans. So now we're looking at how does the Christian life work itself out? So when we come to verse 1 of chapter 8, we see this therefore. We, I say I feel like a broken record because whenever we see the therefore, we ask, why is the therefore therefore? Hopefully I sound like a broken record. And normally when we see the therefore, we're forced to, to go into the preceding verses, the verses that we already read, and say, well, how does, what happened that basically causes this therefore. Normally it's in the immediate verse, but in this case, really the therefore goes back to, to chapter 7, verse 6. And in Romans chapter 7, verse 6, we read, but now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the spirit and not in oldness of the letter. And that's sort of where we, where last week, when I covered this, 
I said that we could literally go to Romans chapter 8, verse 1 and pick up his flow of thought. But to kind of back up and give us the bigger picture, Romans started out with this introduction that Paul is writing these Christians who are in Rome. He'd never met them. He'd never been to Rome. He desired desperately to get to Rome. It was said that, you know, all roads lead to Rome. And in and, and Paul's mind, if all roads lead to Rome, that means that all the roads in road, Rome lead to the, the end of the world. And so Paul wanted to get to, to Rome, this church that was thriving, that their faith was being spread around the whole world for that God was doing things. And so he wrote this letter to introduce himself, to share his theology, uh, to lay out his teaching on paper, to correct uh, false things that were being said about Paul. He says that he in Romans chapter one, that he longs to see them, to spend time with them, to encourage them, that they might be mutually encouraged, that Paul would be encouraged through them. And after spending some time there, he would take an offering. And his prayer was that this church in Rome would then finance Paul's trip to get to Spain. And the reason he wanted to get to Spain is because they have great food. Well, that's why I want to go to Spain. (laughs) My wife grew up in Spain, for those who know Spain, and I like Spain. So every time I mention Spain, I think food and soccer. And so, but that's not why Paul wanted to get there. Paul, (laughs) on track, Hunter. Paul wanted to get there because it was the outermost part of the world. The gospel hadn't been there. He wanted to share the good news to those who hadn't heard. And so he thought that Rome would have been this perfect launching ground. And he says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. From there in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, he starts sharing the importance of the gospel. He says, for the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. And so from Romans 1, verse 18, all the way to Romans chapter 3, verse 20, he makes this case this, this legal case against humanity that all humans are born from Adam and therefore we have a sin nature. And because we have a sin nature, we sin. And because we sin, our sin has separated us from God and we stand condemned against the wrath of God. The first three chapters of Romans can be very dark and dismal because we need to understand the bad news Before we understand the good news, the good news is great. But in order for it to be good news, there has to be bad news. And so then from Romans chapter three, verse 21, kind of to chapter five, Paul begins introducing this idea of justification through faith in Christ. That not that we're sinless, but being sinners who will continue to sin because we've come to understand who, what Jesus did, that the gospel, that Jesus died, he was buried, he rose again for our, the payment of our sins. That when we believe in that, Paul says that God justifies us. It's a legal term that he's declared us justified before him. Not that we're sinless, but that Jesus was sinless and that our account gets credited with his righteousness. Leading into chapter five, he starts speaking of that as a result of this justification, we now have peace with God. We are saved from the wrath of God that is due us. We no longer at war with God, that we're safe and secure in Christ. And then going into chapter six, it's our emancipation proclamation in the Christian life that through Christ, we've been set free We're no longer under the authority of sin and death. 
our pink slip has been transferred over to life in Christ. That we now are bond servants of him. From there in Romans chapter 7. He begins explaining the tension. That exists in the believer's nature. That we have the flesh. And when we believed in Christ. The spirit has come and moved into our bodies. And so now within our bodies. There's this war that is raging between the spirit and the flesh. And Paul builds his case up to Romans chapter 7 verse 6. The verse that our therefore comes from. And he says, but now we have been released. You've been set free. The Emancipation Proclamation, when Lincoln set the the slaves free in the United States. Through Christ, we've been set free from the slavery of sin and death. To which we were bound so that we serve a newness of the spirit and not the oldness of the letter. And as Paul writes this, he gets personal with us in verses 7 through 25. In this section, as he contrasts this idea in his own life between living according to the spirit and living according to the letter of the law, he recognizes that living the Christian life in the flesh is not possible. And he gets Very transparent with us. And in that section, Paul uses the term I, me, my some. I think it was like 30 times in that section describing his struggle of of attempting to live out the things of God, which were intended by the spirit to be done in his flesh. And that there's this war that's raging. On one hand, it's totally for me. I'm like in shock, like the apostle Paul, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament has to struggle within how can it be? But then the reality is Gunner's like, praise the Lord. Paul struggled. I guess it's okay if I have a little bit of a struggle. There's, there's sort of freedom in that. Not encouraging me to go to sin, but to recognize that I, I'm not perfect. And neither are you. And in verse 1 of chapter 8, going from 7, 6. And you'll notice in verse 2 of Romans, okay, Romans 8, 2. It says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now turn back to Romans 7, 6. Notice the similarities between these two verses. This is how I'm tying them together. He says, but now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the spirit and not oldness of the letter. Therefore. This is what he's, the therefore, this is where that therefore ties to. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Just let that, just let that sink in. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is powerful. This should make you want to shout hallelujah. I don't know how the rest of that song goes. Thank you, Jesus. It's a little song I know from somewhere, but I don't have any idea. And I'm not going to start singing about it because I don't, I'm now applying for the worship job here. So <laughs> it's sarcasm. But there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is one of these truths that we as believers in Christ, we need to, to memorize this. I struggled, struggle, present tense. With this reality, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
I don't really know when I became a Christian. I have like a, like a, a season, 1996 to 99. Somewhere in there, I became a Christian. But I struggled with this. No condemnation. I, I, I kind of dealt with, okay, God forgave me, but certainly God doesn't know what he's doing. And, and I, he doesn't quite understand the mistakes and the sin in my life, which were some pretty significant ones. Significant ones. So I'd get around Christians, and they weren't judging me, but when I examined myself according to others, and I really was a big screw-up. Really, you guys would say amen. If you got nobody here knew me back then, but 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 there were scars that lingered. Yeah, I joke about these tattoos, and I'm not saying tattoos are sinful, but my tattoos were certainly sinful because I was totally in the world. I mean, I have skulls with water from my seal days, from like death and carnage, King Neptune on the inside of my bicep, from from my life in the seal teams. I have Woody Woodpecker smoking a doobie on my shoulder from when I was in high school. This is your pastor. I don't like going to church pool parties. Because when I get there, it's like, no. There's condemnation. I was an idiot. I had all this stuff. Then when I met my wife. I literally think it was after we got engaged that I confessed her all my tattoos. It was like, you know what? Before you, you know, you're like this missionary kid, which I didn't even know what that was. Like to me, if you if you did missions, that meant you like worked for the CIA doing like counterintelligence in like remote parts of the world. Literally, when I went to Mongolia and I did my missions fundraising letter to raise funds, I had old SEAL buddies give tons of money saying. It's good to see you're still in the game. We'd love to fund you for this. I had buddies funding me my missions trip thinking they were setting me on some black ops thing. And I'm like, no, 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 this is like Christian stuff. They're like, no, 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 no. Don't worry. We understand. You got to be secretive. And I'm like, well, I'm going to cash the check. So I'm going. So whatever you think I'm doing, it's on you. But then, you know, meeting Anna was like, here's this kid, this this, this this, she's a missionary kid. Her dad was a pastor. And that's like, I, I, just full disclosure, so you know, like, you know, be, I know you said yes, but hey. And she's like, whoa, hey. I was imagining like a little like butterfly on your shoulder or something. Like, not like, like you told me, but I wasn't like. And then being married to Anna over the years, you know, she's like, Gunner, just drop it. Like, you're forgiven. Like, stop. Stop making a big deal about it. But, but I think that this is something that we as Christians, we, we struggle with. Because Satan has been playing this game for a long time. Certainly you're not forgiven. Remember that? And every now and again, that, that I think, oh, I'm getting, I'm so far from my past. And then even this week, I have an old SEAL buddy that there was video back then. I'm so thankful I wasn't a non-believer when the, in the age of this internet and the, the rapid dissemination, but he converted some eight millimeter video. And I was like, oh no, oh no. And, and there are SEAL buddies that they just don't even understand the whole pastor thing. And so he sends me this video. Thankfully, my, I wasn't in it. But, but there's this heart sinking. And Satan reminded me, Gunnar, what are you doing? Don't, certainly God can't use you. 
Don't you remember this? Don't you remember that? Well, till I understood this, for, and I'm not talking about cognitively, but when, when the mind understanding of this sank into my soul, did I truly experience like freedom? And I'm prone to go back into slavery, even though I've been set free. He says, therefore, therefore what? Verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. When he died on that cross, he knew all of your sins. He paid for it in full. You've been set free. And because you've been set free based on his work, therefore, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ, you stand free. You're no longer condemned. The condemnation that was due you apart from Christ had been placed upon him. And if you're not in Christ, which we'll get, we'll look at more. There should be sort of a, uh uh-oh. Because all through Romans... He very clearly makes the case that unless you're in Christ, that means that you're in Adam. And if you're in Adam, that means you're still in sin. And that means that you're not safe from the wrath of God, which is coming to each of us. But in Christ, there's no condemnation. There's no fear. We're alive in him. He goes on to say, verse 3, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh. I want to stop there. What was the law designed to do? It's easy for us to get it into our minds that the that the purpose of the law was to save us. If you're a type A like me, who has a German mindset, mindset, I like lists. Do the list and then you're good. So certainly the Old Testament law, the 613 commandments were simply a checklist. And as long as I do the checklist, then I'm good. But as we study the scriptures, we see that the law was simply a magnifying glass to show us the condition of our heart that we can't do the law. It exposes the sin that we have. If you'll turn with me over to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians is known as a a mini Romans. And here in Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 23, he begins to explain the purpose of the law. Now, it says before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law. I don't know what you guys, what comes to your brain when you read kept in custody under the law. But what I think of is bracelets, handcuffs behind my back when the law says you're guilty. Before I came to Christ, one of the big moments in my life was a you know, little thing resisting evading arrest <laughs> lost my security it was like my whole world turned upside down i was in trouble N- now i see these as a as a police chaplain i see these tough tough guys gang members a lot of them even on the swat team going out these like high um very dangerous arrests At the end of the day, to see these tough guys with handcuffs on their back, they turn into little babies and they start bawling. Do you know why? Because when you have those handcuffs on you, it's like I am in custody under the law. There is nothing that I can do. And thank God that we live in a country where we have rights and ways to do this. But not in every country is that the case. But even in this country where there is a, a, an order, when you get those handcuffs on and a police officer is talking to you, 
suddenly you recognize how helpless you are. Total and complete helplessness. You're totally at their mercy and the system of our judicial system that either you can get out of it or if you're guilty, depending on what you're guilty of, you know what's, you're, you're not going to be able to get out of it unless you have a really good attorney. But that's another story. But so I see this, verse 23, but faith came. We were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith that was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law became our tutor to lead us to Christ. So, so listen, the, the Old Testament law, that, that as we try to follow it, as we try to obey it, what we see is we are totally unable to do this. The harder we try, the more we, we recognize that we can't. That we recognize our sin, our sin bubbles up. And if we have a good look at who God is, we recognize that there's no way we can match what he has. And so Paul says that the, the, the custody, the law, we're in custody, we're handcuffed by it, pointing us to Christ. It becomes our tutor. Saying you can't open those handcuffs on your own. There's nothing you can do. But check it out. Christ can. When I start looking at religions, most religions are based upon a system of works. You do this. You help an elderly lady across the street. You don't steal. Don't do this. Hopefully at the end of your life, the good has outweighed the bad. Hopefully then when you die and you stand before God, hopefully, maybe you've done enough good that gets you across the threshold. Christianity is the only Faith that says it's done for you, that Christ did it. He says, now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, for you were all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. He goes on and says, you're now children of God. Going back to Romans chapter 6. I mean, it's Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 8. Wrong page opened up. For what the law could not do, what could the law not do? The law cannot save you. All the law can do is to tenderize your heart that you might receive and believe what Christ has done for you. What the law could not do, weak as it was to the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh. Now, I have that he condemns sin, that phrase circled. Because look at back to verse 1. I have verse 1, no condemnation circled. He condemns sin with a line linking those two. In Christ, there's no condemnation. Why is there no condemnation in Christ? There's no condemnation in Christ because sin has been condemned, has been beaten through the body of Christ. If you would turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. If you're struggling with death, loss of a loved one, the first 10 verses of of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 are so encouraging. Then he transitions and starts explaining that, that we in Christ have been given this ministry of reconciliation. Sharing Jesus with those who don't know Christ. And at the very end of this, 
In verse 20, he says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He, that's the father, made him, that's Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So Paul makes it clear that when Jesus went to the cross, it's not because he had any sin. He was innocent of all. But when he was executed on the cross, the reason that he was executed was that he was making payment for our sin and the wrath that was due us. We're told that through that act, he became the propitiation for our sins, meaning that in his death, his sacrifice was sufficient. It satisfied the wrath of God for those who would believe in him. And that in belief, we then are justified. His righteousness is imputed or credited to our account. Back to Romans chapter 8. So kind of taking it from the top. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled, not by us, but in us. There's a huge difference. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So he's beginning to make his case as we live our lives according to the spirit. There's this battle within us between the flesh and the spirit. And as we yield our lives to the spirit and walk with the spirit and allow the spirit to work himself out in our life. The, the law of God is, is fulfilled within us through his working. Then he says, verse five, for those who are according to the flesh. For those who are according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are. According to the spirit, the things of the spirit. So it's it's always embarrassing when that happens. This is a time where we all check our cell phones. It happened during the last service, so I checked my cell phone. But it was a pleasant ringer. (laughs) Last service was a little bit more uh, racy. Um, Okay. So verse 5, for those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those, you could read it the same way, carried on. But those who set their minds on the spirit, the things of the spirit. We, we see this, this choice going back to Romans chapter 6, that you've been set free. You've died with Christ on the cross. Sin is done with. You're no longer in bondage to it. You, you now have the choice To obey your flesh, which is going to lead you astray, or your spirit, which is going to lead you to life. But this this phrase, set their minds on. This battle for our brains, what we think is important. God is making an appeal for us to think and to consider. But when I read this, set their minds, it reminds me of sailing. When I was in high school, getting ready to go into the Navy... Um, I came across somehow a family connection that there was a guy who races sailboats, like big cruise sailboats. And they asked if I was interested. I said, I'd love to go race sailboats. Are there any sailors in here? 
there, no, that, there's none, kind of, sort of. There's none. So I'll talk real slow. <laughs> We're too far inland. So when I walk down there, I'm this young, like, 18-year-old kid. It's like, hey, I want to volunteer to go sailing. And they're like, that's great. And they're like, do we understand correctly that you're getting ready for the BUDS program? And I'm like, yeah, does that disqualify me or anything? They're like, no, that just means you're good in the water and you're tough. And I'm like, yeah, I'll take that. And they're like, you're our new floor deckman. I'm like, I have no idea what that means, but sounds good. Why, why would you use me? They're like, well, that's, you're most likely the person to get severely injured and to go overboard. <laughs> it's like, awesome. And, and so sailing, there's, there's two different sails. There's, you'll see the picture of them in the San Diego Bay where they can hoist the front. It's called the spinnaker. It's a beautifully colored sail. It's designed to run with the wind. You put it up and the wind just catches it. It looks like a parachute almost. Then there's the other sail that's used to go into the wind. And, and see the thing, the wind doesn't control where the sailboat goes. You can have the same wind and you'll have boats going into the harbor through the wind, and you'll have boats coming out of the harbor depending on how they set their sails. And so when I read this, I see that, that there's this decision, this setting your mind to this course, that we as Christians, followers of Christ, we can decide, are you going to set the sail of your mind to the things of the spirit or to the things of the flesh? And in looking at verse 6 through 8, we see this contrast. Instead of playing ping pong going back and forth, I want to follow the thread of one. You know when you get that thread in your piece of clothing and you start pulling and you're like, oh no, I should have used fingernail clippers, but then you keep going and then you can see it like running. You're like, oh no, no, no. I want to do that with this. I want to pull the one thought. I want to follow the thought of the flesh first. Then once we get through the flesh, I'm going to loop back around and we'll follow the thread of the spirit. So we come to verse 6 and we see, for the mind set on the flesh is death. Verse 7, because the mind set on flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So we see three things, that, that flesh equals death think carne asada carne meat dead meat that's what you become as you're as you as a christian decide to follow your flesh it'll result in death if you turn with me to to first corinthians chapter five i want to show this worked out because when we read romans 8 1 there's something that we need to understand You are secure in Christ. You cannot lose your salvation in Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There are carnal Christians. And Paul is making the appeal to the Christians. Don't be a carnal Christian. Be a spirit-filled Christian because it's better for you. It's better for God's people. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 5... Whenever you read Corinthians, go to Corinthians, understanding that this is a response that Paul is writing to the church. The church in Corinth had gone crazy. This is like if there was Jerry Springer of the New Testament, this is Jerry Springer. Stuff is out of control. And in chapter five, there was there was a sinful situation 
where, where one man is, is having sexual relations with his father's wife. They don't know if it's his mother, stepmother. They don't know, but it was bad. Paul says, even the pagans think it's disgusting. And you and the church need to deal with this individual. You need to deal with the sin. And as we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4, Paul writes these, I don't want to say harsh, but firm. He says, in the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled, when the church comes together and I with you in the spirit, so I won't be there with you, but I'm there in spirit. With the power of our Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one. This is that person who's in sin to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. So they're saying, you take that person, you expel them from the church. Let them go crazy in their flesh. Deliver them to Satan so that his flesh might be destroyed, meaning that he might die. And we don't exercise this kind of discipline that often in the church. I've never had to do this. I don't want to say, you know, you never use absolutes. Maybe one day you guys will give me a chance. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to that day. I don't know that I have the confidence to say, hey guys, so-and-so is in a really bad sin. So we're just going to let them go. And we're just going to be praying that God just kills them. Okay? <laughs> but notice what he says. So the reason he says this, so that his spirits may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus So there's not a losing of his salvation. He's saying, let the Lord deal with him. Let him go crazy. As he follows sin, sin equals death. Going back to Romans chapter 8. For the mindset on flesh is death. Verse 7. Because the mindset on flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God. For it is not even able to do so. I don't want to say this. I don't ask a question, a rhetorical question, which means don't answer. But, but have you guys ever been like in an argument as a Christian with somebody when you're totally in your flesh? I have. Sometimes it's with my wife. Where I'm like so in the flesh and there's like an argument. And I know she's right. I know she's walking with the Lord, but I don't want anything to do with that. I'm hostile. There's a hostility towards the things of God. Because I can't in my flesh please God, which is the third thing. But there's a hostility. And we, we see this now. The longer I've been married, the longer I've been working with, working, well, he's been working on me. The longer I've been walking with Jesus, I do know that when, when, when these times when I set my mind on the flesh and I start getting carnal in my thinking, that the time from like confession and like saying I'm sorry is like shortening. I'm not saying I'm perfect, but I definitely am like my apologies come a lot faster. Like meant apologies, like when I actually mean it, they, they come a lot faster than they used to. But but to the Christian whose mind is set on the flesh, there's a hostility towards God that you're because there's this war within us. And so when you're walking in your flesh and people are giving you Christian counsel, you're not going to be happy about it. You're going to get more upset until you humble yourself before the Lord and you confess. You're like, oh, no, I'm, I'm walking according to my flesh. I need to humble myself. But the world that doesn't know God, they don't even have the spirit of God within them. And there's just hostility. Don't act surprised when our world is going against Christ. Don't be surprised at 
our schools, our politicians. Like, I don't know why we as Christians are so surprised. This is nothing new. That in the flesh, there's hostility towards God. It's not able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Last week, we looked at the fruit of the spirit and the deeds of the flesh. Uh, That same Galatians 5 verses 19 through 25 kept surfacing in my mind this week. But I stumbled over to the the message uh, paraphrase where Eugene Peterson had basically what he wrote out for the deeds of the flesh. And I read it and I was like, ooh, that... Listen to what he writes on the deeds of the flesh. It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless, and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes, divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled, uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. I could go on. I read that and I was like, I thought, man, if I went to the message translation, it would kind of distance me from the deeds of the flesh. And I read that. And I was like, ah! the flesh as appealing and as tempting and as fun as it can be for a season ultimately is death, enmity with God and a failure to please God. And then when I look at the other thread, well, what is following the spirit look like and it's not necessarily a counterbalance it's not like point one okay then here's point one for the spirit point two for the flesh point two for the spirit i see three for the flesh but notice what he says about the spirit it's so simple but the mind in verse six set on the spirit is life and peace simple life and peace If you have those two things, you have everything. Everything. As I've walked with the Lord and been exposed to different peoples, it always surprises me going to a third world country where you meet another believer. They don't have anything close to the American dream. And yet there's something in their eyes that is hard to describe. But what it is, is it's life and peace. I've met elderly people who've been walking with the Lord for a long time and you talk to them and it's like there's something in their eyes and I want it. I don't want to be a cranky, old, mean, bitter, old person. No offense, like nobody, this isn't anybody here, right? This is people that I've met, like in my own life, my own family. But what I want as I grow old, as I mature in the Lord, is I want life and peace. I, I want a joy that's not, that's not contingent on stuff in this life, but is based upon my relationship with Christ. That I have life in him, that I have peace with him. And because I have peace with him, I have peace in all things. It's really beautiful. 
Sometimes less is more. And then he simply says, but the spirit is life and peace. Then down to verse 9, he says, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. There's, there's a very important thing to grasp here. Going back to Romans 8.1, it says, For there is no condemnation for people. Absolutely not. It says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Which means if you're outside of Christ Jesus, you don't have that promise. And we come to verse 9, it says, However, you are not in the flesh. He's writing to believers in Rome. He says, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Guys, this is the jugular vein of Christianity. This is a very important question to ask yourself and to wrestle with. Do you have Jesus? Have you believed upon Jesus? The church is probably one of the most dangerous places with this question, especially if you were raised in the church. Which I forgot the word. I know what it means to be to get your inoculations, to be inoculized. Inoculated. Inoculated. There he was. He was in the first service. Thanks for coming back. He's helping me out here. If you would turn over to Ephesians chapter 1. See, if... You grew up in the church. If you're around the church, if you go to church, you begin learning all of the terms. Jesus loves you. This is the gospel. God is love. We learn all of these things and and we become immune to them without really understanding what they're saying. But, but these are great, huge truths that are life transforming and notice what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. In him, in Jesus, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your, of your salvation. The gospel is that Jesus died for your sins according to scriptures. Meaning that from Genesis chapter 3 all the way through the Old Testament, God has given prophecies concerning the Messiah that he would come. Isaiah 53, that he would bear stripes, he would bear our iniquities so that we would be cleansed. So those of the Old Testament, they trusted upon the same promise, the same gospel. But it was future. We look back. We heard the gospel that Jesus died for your sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that on the third day he rose from the grave according to scriptures. You can hear that all day long. I know non-believers that can quote the gospel to me verbatim. I've talked with guys, guys that have reached out to me and said, you know what, I, I'm really struggling in my Christian life. And I say, okay, hey, what's, let's talk about your Christian life. What do you believe? And they say, well, I know all about Jesus dying for my sins, that he, he made penalty for me. And all of the, he, uh, the, the Sunday school textbook answer of what Christianity is. But they weren't experiencing it. They didn't know. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. You told me all of the facts about Christianity. But, but have you ever believed? And to see a person raised in the church look at me like a deer in headlights 
frozen. Kind of scratching their head. Well, you know, now that you say that, I don't think I ever believed. I don't think I ever did trust, but I know all the facts. I just assume because I know the facts that they apply to my life. But look what Paul says. After hearing about listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his own glory. That moment when you believe, that's when you're sealed with the spirit, that the spirit of God dwells within you. First Corinthians twelve thirteen says that you're moved through baptism of the spirit, not water from the body of Adam into the body of Christ, that the spirit of God now dwells within you. This is super important. Back to Romans chapter eight, verse nine. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. The most important question that you could ask yourself is, have I believed in Jesus for salvation? If you haven't believed in Jesus, if you haven't trusted in him for salvation, you do not have the spirit of God and you are not safe from the wrath of God, according to the scripture. I don't like hearing that just as much as you don't like hearing that. I didn't write the book. I just teach it. This is what God has revealed. This is the truth for us. And there's no wiggle room. He goes on to say, if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, Pause there. If Christ is in you. And he goes on to say, if the spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. If you're a Christian, which means you've believed upon Jesus. At that moment, you've received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is within you. That's the spirit warring with the flesh inside of you. But if, verse 11, if the spirit of him whom, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. He tabernacles amongst you, in you. What does this look like, though? This whole chapter, this whole section of Romans that we've been dealing with. There's the flesh and there's the spirit. If you've trusted in Christ, you have both of these within you. But then we see this turmoil from Romans chapter 7 through this. Asking the question, what is your mind set on? Are you set on the flesh or are you set on the spirit? And for the mindset on the spirit, like, what does this mean? This is where determining in your mind that, you know what, Lord, I'm going to follow after you. I think of Joshua at the end of Joshua as he's about to die and he looks out upon the nation that he's led into the promised land. And he says, you know, you can be like our granddaddies. Who, who they worship trinkets, they followed after false gods. 
You do whatever you want. But as for me and my house, we're going to follow after the Lord. We're going to follow after him. We've purposed in our hearts to follow after him. And that's what I've purposed in my heart. That moment when I had that, that, that day with the Lord, when my hypocrisy found me out and I said, you know what? I want all the promises that are in here, but I can't do it. I couldn't do it because I was trying to fulfill them. My flesh and my flesh is a big failure. I can't. And ultimately, my hypocrisy came out against me. And in that moment of saying, God, I'm done. I'm walking away. I can't claim to be a Christian. I, I really would like for all this stuff in the Bible to be true in my life, but it's not working out. And so I need you to help me out. And if you're not going to help me out, then have a nice life. I'm on my way. Because I wasn't really in rebellion against God. I was just my hands up. And at that moment, everything came together because I recognized that I couldn't do it on my own. This little type A personality of mine that thinks, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. I eventually fail and I go, I just don't know what's going on. And it's like, have you prayed? Have you considered? Have you fasted? Have you sought the spirits leading anything? Well, no, I haven't because I thought I could do it on my own. (laughs) Well, why don't you try setting your mind on the spirit and leaning on him? And then the spirit filled life. When we lean on the spirit, it begins when we wake up in the morning. It could be simply like, you know, sometimes you wake up before your alarm clock. And when I say wake up, I'm not talking about out of bed. But that feeling when it's like, oh, no, the night is almost over. I only have 15 minutes when I was really hoping for about four more hours. And you start out in your spirit like, Lord, this is the day you have made. I want to rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, help me live out this day. Maybe in your comatose sleep, you memorize the Lord's prayer. and You say, our father who out in heaven. It's like, Lord, I'm walking with you. You're in heaven. You are sovereign over all. You are powerful. Hallowed be your name. Lord, you are holy. I am not. I am sinful. Lord, help me to follow after you. Lord, help me to be quick to confess my sins. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, thank you that I have food to eat. Many people in the world don't even know where their next meal is coming from. We have our next five years planned out. And if you're a big end times person, you probably have the next 30 years in storage in your shed. And, and we lose track of, God, you've given me this food. Or as I pray that, well, man, maybe, Lord, I've been eating too much Peterson's donuts and, and all this good food. And my flesh is sort of controlling me. So maybe I need a fast because my flesh is getting the best of me. And so you, with, when you take away your food... It's amazing, my stomach. If I miss one meal, I'm dying. (laughs) I need to eat now. (laughs) But then when you fast, you say, no. Lord, my flesh is consuming me. And I love you more than I love my desire to food. (laughs) Or if I don't, Lord, will you change it? And maybe it's not food that you're fasting. Maybe it's the internet. Maybe it's a TV. Maybe it's whatever it is that's consuming you and pulling your attention away from your walk with the Lord. We need to get in step with the spirit. I can continue through the Lord's prayer, but you guys can do that on your own time. But this whole idea from the fruit of the spirit, if you have the spirit of God, let us walk with him. In Galatians, that's stoigamen. It's a military term for being in step. When you watch people, military guys, like even like the Marine guys who twirl their guns and do their stuff, that's I don't think there's any Marines here, but I like making fun of Marines. 
but they do it masterfully. And you think it just happens. The whole being in step and being on cue. No, it's, it takes a lot of work. And as a SEAL instructor, if I wanted to get students to quit, I shared last week that what I do is I take that boat and I take the rope on it, even though it's against policy, and I drag that boat as fast as I can. And they're running. They're all out of step. That boat is just slamming on their head. And almost guaranteed I can always get a quitter out of doing that. You can see the the tension amongst them. They'll start yelling at each other. They'll turn against each other. They'll try to get one guy who they think is the guy that's responsible for. And the guy they think is responsible for is I'll say, hey, Johnson, you're killing it for your boat crew. Everybody's in pain because you're not putting out. And so then they get it in their head and then they turn on one another. But if they resist the instructor and they say, no, let's get in step, boys, and they start getting in sync so that all of their heads go up at the same time as the boat and they all come down. I can't break them. And we're told, get in step with the spirit of God who is within you. He's working. He's moving. And it's up to you to conform your life and your walk with him. And how do you do that? That's bowing down before God and saying, Lord, I need help. What Paul said in 724, wretched man that I am. Who will set me free from this body of sin? Thanks be to God through Lord, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So that on the one hand, I myself am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Father, we bow down before you, Lord. Father, I pray for each person in this room, Lord, that your spirit would stir Lord, certainly as I look across this room, I, my assumption is that everybody knows you as Savior. But Lord, only you know the condition of the heart of each person. And so, Father, I ask that you would help each one in this room to seriously answer the question before you. Have I trusted in Christ for salvation? Lord, whatever the resistance is, I pray that You would guide them, Lord, so that they could come to the place of believing upon you, that they would come to know you as Savior, that they would be sealed by the Spirit. And Father, for those of us who have trusted in Christ as Savior, Lord, I we just come before you, Lord. We confess, Lord, that our flesh is so strong and this this battle that's raging within us seems impossible to win. But, Lord, we come before you in faith. Lord, we desire to set our minds, to set the sail of our heart, Lord, towards the Spirit. Father, we don't know what this looks like in our life, but we pray, Lord, that you would, that your Spirit would blow. May you catch our sails, Lord. Help us to walk with you, Lord. We want life and peace, Lord. Help us to resist the devil that tempts us with the things of the flesh that seem so appealing and so promising and at times can be fun, Lord. Lord, we want life and peace. We want you. Lord, use us. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.